0: Outlaws and Scorned Women is intended for entertainment purposes only. Nothing on this show should ever be construed as actual legal advice. Also, it is chock full of adult content, so we do recommend a little bit of listener discretion. Uh, so anyway, we're probably recording a podcast here, and we should acknowledge that. Oh wait, we started? Yeah. It's Are we been, on the clock? That's what the clapping was. I was,
1: I was not <laughs> clocking this.
0: Uh, so... Okay. Anyway, I'm gonna bring listeners into the room. So, ahem. hello. <laughs> Would you like to do it? No. <laughs> <laughs> I just apparently I'm a
1: little bit of an agitator, today. <laughs> disruptor.
0: You've been reading about riots and and mob violence, and it's just that's, that's right. You, I have your danders up. My dander's up. Your Back. hackles are up. You're ready. You're dang right. Yeah, <laughs> foaming at the mouth a little bit. It's all right. All of these are healthy. Um, anyway, goddammit. my
1: feelings have feelings. Right now. <laughs> all right. I'm like I'm, a lemon. Good,
0: I'm gonna do the intro now. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Outlaws and Scorned Women, the podcast that explores the criminal history of the great state of Texas. My name is Stephanie, and I am a born and raised Texan who, while I love the drama of my state, I do not always subscribe to its past practices. And you are?
1: I'm Stephanie. I'm sidekick, Stephanie. That's what I've decided. (laughs) (laughs) Your main kick, I'm sidekick. (laughs) And, And I am here taking this wonderful romp through the history of the great state of Texas and sometimes
0: we mm-hmm. expose some
1: you know darling little facts about mm-hmm. our great state and sometimes it's the hideous underbelly
0: yeah welcome to today yeah and also uh you're the lawyer one oh yeah I'm the yeah. lawyerly
1: one but um
0: I'm the theater arts degree one
1: yeah but we're both you know we're looking back in the past mm-hmm. and uh way, way things were
0: and so uh back in the day so the way the show works is uh you know We've got our little jam session here, and then you'll hear me tell a little story about a crime that has occurred in Texas. And then afterwards, we'll sit down together again and start picking apart the legalities and the historical implications uh, and fun stuff like that. So um, get ready to nerd out with us. This is part two of our series about lynch mobs in Texas, which is a lighthearted and uplifting topic to discuss i'm kidding it's fucking terrible um, it is an intense intense look into the very racist past of the state that we love so uh buckle up buttercups let's get into this ever hear about the Sherman race riot of 1930? If you do a Google image search for the words race riot, you'll get a dismayingly high number and variety of results with no repeat images. There's just so much. And in every single picture, as you scroll down, you'll notice that the rioters Okay, the people captured in the frame, with their their bodies forever frozen in angles of aggression, with their arms raised, their fists clenched tight, their guns held at the ready or aimed with deadly intent, posing triumphantly with the broken bodies of their victims, all of those people, the rioters, are white. And in those same pictures, every single one, the people running from the rioters, their faces drawn tight with terror or standing still as stone, as if they are fervently praying that the mob's vision is based on movement, their shoulders held at calm, non-threatening angles, armored with nothing more than dignity in the face of rabid, insane hatred, or worst of all, dead. Those folks in these pictures are black. So when I say, the Sherman race riot of 1930, know that I am talking about a particular kind of event. This wasn't just a lynching. This was the white population of a city crying havoc and letting slip the dogs of racist war for two solid days. In the spring of 1930, Sherman, Texas was like any other southern city in the throes of the Great Depression, struggling, and super duper segregated. There was a white part of town and a black part of town, and uneasily the tween did they meet. The black part of town was centered at the intersection of Branch and Mulberry streets, and it was nearly entirely self-sufficient, with black-owned and operated businesses like drugstores and funeral parlors, offices for doctors and dentists and lawyers, even a hotel. You didn't have to step far outside of Sherman for things to get real country real quick, About five miles outside of town, it was all farmland, and that is where a 41-year-old black man by the name of George Hughes worked as a farmhand. Now, George had apparently not been paid in a timely manner. It was the Great Depression, after all, and a steady paycheck was about as common as hen's teeth. So on May 3rd, 1930, George went to the main house of the farm where he worked and demanded his pay. The farmer's wife let George know that her husband was not home. He was up in Sherman, so she couldn't pay George. George left and, well, this is where we acknowledge that there are several reports from acquaintances of George's that described him as crazy, not right in the head. So later that day, George returned to the farm to demand his wages, and he had a shotgun with him. Now, the farmer was still not at home, so later, when the farmer's wife said that George became so furious about the money that he attacked and raped her, it was entirely her word against his. And in 1930, the accusations of a white woman absolutely outweighed the denials of a black man. George was chased down by her neighbors and arrested by sheriff's deputies. Two days later, a grand jury indicted him for rape. The county attorney looked out his office window, saw a crowd of angry white folks milling about the street, and realized he needed to make this trial happen, and happen fast. Things were turning real ugly in Sherman. Rumors had started circulating around town that George had mutilated the face and breasts of the woman while raping her. It 100% was not true, but since when did the truth ever outrun a rumor? The Grayson County Sheriff could read the room, as it were, and knew that Sherman was this close to exploding, so he secretly moved George from the jail to an undisclosed location. And just in time, too, because a mob formed outside the prison to demand that George be released to them for justice purposes. The sheriff told them no, and even took a few of the mob ringleaders on a tour of the jailhouse to prove that they did not have George there. He wasn't hidden in a broom closet or something, but the mob still didn't believe him. And they stubbornly continued to show up every night outside the jail to loiter around and stew in their own hate and hopefully intimidate the sheriff into handing George over. So the Texas Rangers came to town, led by Captain Frank Hamer, They were tasked with ensuring that George Hughes survived to stand trial. On the morning of May 9th, 1930, four Texas Rangers and a contingent of deputies escorted George Hughes into the Grayson County Courthouse and on up the stairs to the second floor courtroom. The only people allowed inside that room were people directly involved in the trial. You know, the the judge and the lawyers and the jury, the accused. You get the idea. Somehow, the mob... Got the information about the date and the time of the trial and they had gathered outside the courthouse and that mob started swelling in size like a like a malignant abscess on the face of lady justice boiling with an estimated three to five thousand angry white people yeah so in my research i was able to find an official statement written after the fact by ranger captain hamer to the texas governor explaining what happened a letter which I will now dramatically read to you. Honorable Dan Moody, Governor, State of Texas. In compliance with your request, I am herewith furnishing you with a statement in regards to the trouble at Sherman as per your order. On May 7th, Sergeant Wheatley, Rangers J.E. McCoy, J.W. Aldrich, and myself left Austin at 4.25 p.m. for Sherman, Texas to report to the district judge for duty to be on hand in district court in which George Hughes, Negro, was to be tried for assault on a white woman in Grayson County a few days before. On the morning of the 9th of May, the Negro was brought into the courtroom, the jury was impaneled, the trial proceeded to get underway. It was while the first state witness was on the stand testifying, that the crowd made a rush on the district courtroom to get the prisoner, and in their attempt to do so, two double doors opening into the hallway near the district courtroom were broken down. The district judge ordered the prisoner locked up in the district attorney's vault, and then we immediately proceeded to disperse the mob, which we did by the use of our guns without firing, and tear gas bombs. The district judge and other officials then decided that a change of venue should be ordered in the case. The crowd made two other attempts to rush the courtroom on the second floor and was beaten back each time. Now, pause. So this is really happening. It's not just me being all melodramatic. This mob really did rush the courthouse, overwhelm the sheriff and the deputies stationed on the bottom floor, and make a run on the courtroom upstairs. And only being shot at by Texas Rangers stopped them. That's how badly these people wanted to lynch George Hughes, who was... I remind you, in trial at that moment. Also, by the way, by vault, he means the DA's big room-size fireproof safe for storing sensitive legal records. That's where George got locked in for his own safety. Okay, back to Captain Hamer. I instructed my men that the next time they rushed the courthouse that I would fire on the mob, but for them to hold their fire until I gave orders to shoot. In a few minutes, the mob attempted to rush the courtroom again, coming up the stairways, and I fired a shotgun loaded with buckshot, wounding two men so it was reported to us. This stopped the mob. I had heard a number of them say prior to the time that I fired on them that, quote, you can't shoot us, end quote. It never occurred to me what they meant until a newspaper man came upstairs and showed me a message that he said he had received over the AP wires, reading, as from the governor, quote, protect the Negro if possible, but do not shoot anybody, end quote. I informed him that I had received no such message. However, at this time, this report seemed to have been well circulated among the crowd. I saw the district judge and told him about the report and informed him that I did not believe the governor would issue such orders, because we probably could not hold the prisoner if such order was issued. One of the agitators walked to the foot of the stairway and asked me if I was going to give the prisoner up to them. I told him we were not. He says, well, we are coming up and get him, quote. I said, "Any anytime you feel lucky, come on, but when you start up the stairway once more, there's going to be many funerals in Sherman end quote. For 20 or 30 minutes, things were quiet. Just a reminder, this is an official letter from a Texas Ranger captain to the governor. Okay, back to it. They started breaking out windows downstairs. The sheriff and deputies had previously gone downstairs, leaving myself and my men to guard the Negro and the stairways. Then all at once, The flames from the lower story of the courthouse swept up the stairways and on up to the ceiling over our heads to the second floor, and myself and my men barely escaped the burning building. The flames cut us off from the vault, and we could not have opened the vault if we could have gotten to it as we did not know the combination, so we came out and down into the crowd. Flames from the burning building was pushing everybody off the square. Among the crowd were many women and children. Y'all. They set fire to the courthouse. Downstairs, the crowd had been throwing rocks, breaking windows, and somebody threw a lit can of gasoline in through the broken window. And apparently, that courthouse was a tinderbox. The whole thing went up in minutes, with George Hughes locked inside the vault. Everybody else got evacuated safely, but not him. At this point, Captain Hamer knows that the cause is lost as far as ensuring that George gets through this trial. And he gets word that the National Guard are on their way, so he gathers up his men, and they go to the nearby town of McKinney to call the governor and let him know what happened. And, like any good man of action dealing with a bureaucracy, he writes a follow-up letter to that phone call. Here's the rest of it. At no point did I tell anyone that I had received a message from you ordering me not to shoot anybody, and when I fired on the crowd in their last attempt to rush the courtroom, we had them whipped off, and they could not have taken the prisoner from us in any way, only by burning the courthouse as they did, and we never dreamed of the gang doing that until the building was enveloped in flames. I did not receive, while at Sherman, any order from you, nor have I ever at any time received an order from you not to shoot in the protection of a prisoner from mob violence. Only one shot was fired, which was all that was necessary to stop them from rushing the courtroom where the prisoner was held. The man that advised me as to the message coming over the wires, I do not know his name, but it will be no trouble to learn his identity. Respectfully submitted, Frank A. Hamer. Captain, State Rangers. So, that really happened. On May 9th, 1930, at 12.10pm, the jury was sworn in. Ten minutes later, the crowd was breaking down the doors. At 2.30pm, the building was set on fire, and it burned, baby, it burned. Because, yeah, the fire trucks came to put the fire out, but the crowd cut The hoses so they couldn't do it. By 4 p.m., there's nothing left of the courthouse but smoldering walls and the vault, with George Hughes still inside. Apparently unsatisfied with having destroyed the center of all civics and justice in Grayson County, the mob got to work on the vault. They used acetylene torches to cut through the outer wall and dynamite to blow a hole through the inner layer of solid concrete. Now, reports vary, as to whether it was the explosion or suffocation from being locked inside a vault for several hours while a fire raged around it that killed George Hughes. Either way, the man was dead when they cracked open the vault. And you'd think they might stop there. I mean, these 5,000-some-odd people had gathered to see justice done, and George Hughes killed for his alleged crime of raping a white woman. You know, without bothering with that whole trial-by-jury thing. And now he's dead, so mission accomplished, right? Pack it up, everybody, we can go home. Except no, because as we discussed in our last episode, when it comes to lynch mobs, justice is not the point. That's just the pretext. Terror is the point. Scaring black people so badly that they concede to subjugation is the point. So, they pull the corpse of George Hughes out of the vault, They haul it out in front of the courthouse. They hook it to a chain and drag it behind a car, down the street, all the way across town to the intersection of Branch and Mulberry Streets, the center of the Black District of Sherman, Texas. And once they got him there, they hung his body from a tree. They broke the windows out of a nearby drugstore owned by black citizens and shattered every single piece of furniture inside, piled it all up underneath George's body and set the whole mess ablaze and burned his corpse. Some folks posed for pictures with George Hughes' charred hanging body. I do not recommend Googling those pictures. Other folks, many other folks, grabbed burning pieces of wood from the bonfire and set about burning the entire Black district of Sherman, Texas to the ground. They burned everything. Homes, businesses, drugstores, cafes, barbershops, offices of Black lawyers, doctors, dentists, undertakers, every piece of the society that the Black population of Sherman had built for themselves, this mob of thousands of white people just destroyed. By the next day, May 10th, The governor declared martial law, and within a few very tense weeks, order was restored. Of the estimated 5,000 members of the lynch mob, 14 were indicted. Of those indicted, two were convicted. Two. One for rioting and one for arson. Each of those men got a sentence of two years. And that's it, as far as justice goes. The lasting effects of this riot, though? My God. Prior to the madness, the black population of Sherman had been thriving. Economically, in the throes of the Great Depression, they were damn near the backbone of the town. But after the terrorizing events of that spring of 1930, folks packed up and got the hell out of town. And who could blame them? They didn't let the mob scare them into giving up on Texas, though. Folks like William J. Durham, an attorney whose law office was burnt down that day. He relocated to Dallas, where he spent the next 40 years of his life becoming a prominent member of the NAACP and fighting for Texas school integration. He helped win a lawsuit that required the University of Texas Law School to allow the enrollment of black students. Or Dr. Jokey McElroy, who was five years old when her grandparents gathered as many families as they could cram into their home to shelter in place and wait out the violence. She went on to become an author and professor of performance studies of black literature, and is now an adjunct professor at Southern Methodist University in Dallas. They're just a small sample, a a whisper of the dream of the civilized, progressive, prosperous society that Sherman could have had if they had taken the moment of that trial to prove themselves worthy of it, instead of, I don't know, burning everything to the ground. And the city knew it, too. They had regrets. The local paper, the Sherman Daily Democrat, railed against the riot, the rampant lawlessness. They lamented all the damage to property and the city's reputation. They didn't spare a lot of ink, though, for apologizing, or lamenting the terrors inflicted on the black population of their city, or for the grotesque murder and desecration of George Hughes. Can you imagine like, oh, the city's turned against us. Okay.
1: Oh my God. Yeah. Just horrifying. Oh, no. Horrifying is the the, the big today I learned because like, I, I, oh, no, oh. I mean, we knew it was bad, but then, then I, then I learned more and I was like, it's so bad.
0: It's so it, bad. like going through this thing. It's like, I did find reports that there were like white people in town who were not rioting because not every one of the rioters was from Sherman. Right. Like this was one of those coming in on the train to attend the lynching things that you were talking about last time. Uh, So not everyone causing the mayhem was actually from Sherman. So there Uh were white folks in Sherman who were like, loading their cars up with black people and taking them to the city limits to get them out of harm's way. Just, like, trying desperately new... to save as many people as they could. Um So, hashtag not all white people. Right. But also hashtag, like, I... 5,000 white people. So, so <laughs> like, oh, God. there's not a good side oh. on this. Well, it's not a good look, Sherman, Texas.
1: No, no, the spotlight, like, keeps getting shown on us.
0: So when last we left our story, mm-hmm. um we cut off at uh 1900 as far as the history of lynch mob activity in the state of Texas. So uh where would you like to pick it up from there?
1: Yeah. So um I think that's right. The last episode um we were it was culminating to 1900 and we discussed how the instances of pure vigilante uh-huh. mobs and those um, vigilance committees had all but ceased around 1890s. But lynching did become a prominent form of mob violence and was typically related to racial violence, mm-hmm. um, seemed to occur with a greater frequency during periods of economic downturn, stress, or uncertainty. Um, and I guess we discussed the underlying rationales mm-hmm. that drove a lot of the lynchings. Um, an underlying pretext was a either service to justice mm-hmm. or to race or tradition and um yeah i think that's that was i think the framework from which right. we
0: so you're saying that we the vigilance committees were no longer necessary because like the the whole civilized order had spread across like there was actually law enforcement in place so they didn't need to police their own territories but they had learned a trick or two during that whole vigilance committee era and Held on to that.
1: Right. The lawlessness was no longer um, directed towards, you know, the, the rustlers. Mm. It wasn't horse thieves and, uh, you know, um, instances on the frontier. Banditos.
0: That's correct. It,
1: it, it had become this oppressive tool mm-hmm. um, to maintain white supremacy in particular areas of Texas. Um,
0: was it wielded almost exclusively, one would say, against black people? Um, the
1: significant disparity between mm-hmm. other, you know, the other groups. There were some whites and um, Hispanics that were lynched, but yes, overwhelmingly the majority of lynchings were against um, black citizens and residents in these towns. Well, that's
0: goddamn awful, but honestly not unexpected. Uh-huh.
1: So um, I did want to mention, when we were talking about the uh, the allegations of criminal behavior that um, tended to be um they were pointed at as causing yeah so charges brought against uh, Mm -hmm.
0: against black folks uh, as an excuse to form these mobs um, and usually
1: murder or rape um with respect to one of the rationales we discussed last time the protection of white women and their virtue oh yes um one thing i guess we didn't get into and upon reflection i guess i should acknowledge because i was a little bit kind of "Eh," about that rationale was it's
0: it's a little horrifying and it's a little it's it is this perfect storm of the sexism and the racism and the misogyny and and the fragile masculinity thing like it's this this nasty ball i'm making like a ball gesture (laughs) with my hands i'm picturing this enormous loogie of hatred (laughs) built out of all of these excuses that's Um, right
1: and um, especially in areas where you know groups like the KKK were operating, right? Um, this false chivalry, this mm-hmm. pretense for lynching, um, really kind of was the the violent opposition to the the potential blending in society of you know black and white society, mm-hmm. right? And so um, you know I was a little dismissive of that rationale, but right. then as you're reading the word miscegenation comes up over and over again how's that spelled do you have that funny yes because i saw
0: that word too and i was like what the hell is this word yeah
1: yeah Yeah. and um it's m-i-s-c-e-g-e-n-a-t-i-o-n
0: is it miscegenation yes okay
1: yeah and um it comes up in the literature and it for those of us most of us Mm -hmm. who are unfamiliar with it right um it refers to like the intermixing of the races and oh. i'm using quotes uh more popularly what uh, properly what people consider any interracial okay. relations okay um i'm so
0: glad we have a word for that right that doesn't hurt my soul at all no right so and I, I'm, I'm sensing a negative connotation this, is, this sounds like the kind of fancy ass word that s- wannabe intellectual white supremacists throw around as like a, a way to science up their racism right they're
1: right yes i I, that that occurs as well and Mm -hmm. so the reason that kept coming up in context with this idea of protecting white women i think is also part of that intersection with um considering where women's rights were at the time there is kind of an objectification of what's going to happen to our women and what's going to happen to our society when it gets all mixed up and so (laughs) i didn't Really acknowledge it, so much. I was a little dismissive, like really, because like protecting women's virtue. No, no, it's because it's bound up in all of these other aspects of this racist ideology. Like Like it's
0: almost like there's this this uh, feeling that they're also protecting the purity of the white race because mm -hmm. they own those wombs that are walking around inside their white women that also belong to them, and so like those are like white race property. And so that's why we cannot have this mixing. We have to protect the virtue of the white women because oh God, all of so this yeah, just, you're, you're spot on. And so I'm that, hurl
1: <laughs> that ends up it comes through. Right. And when you're um, reading these historical accounts or when people are discussing mm-hmm. these amped up allegations, sometimes you know, false allegations of rape and mutilation, right. that's that's where that's at. That's what that is stirring up. And that's the hostility that it's tapping into. Mm-hmm. And it's this violent, race, you know, opposition to, you know, um, racial like, equality and a society where mm-hmm. we're all just sitting together.
0: Yeah, we all, in fact, are just humans on this yeah. uh, planet. That's what happened with George Hughes, because the, the accusation of rape, um, I could find no confirmation from anywhere that it that it happened or it didn't happen. She said it did. He said it didn't. And because there was no trial, we don't know. No evidence was brought out. There was right. no cross-examination. There was no investigation because there was this enormous pressure from the mob outside to hurry it up, speed this up. We got to go or something terrible's going to happen and something terrible did. They don't, we don't even know. There's no record of her name or her husband's name. That oh, wow. was kept completely out of the record. The only reference I was able to find to her specifically was that she was in the courtroom. And when she saw him, when she saw George Hughes, she, quote, let out a shriek. And then that was that's it. That's the extent of it. Like the 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 community of Sherman worked really hard to um, to cleanse the record on this they kept her name out of it her husband's name out of it the names of anybody who was involved with the rioting all of that mm-hmm. is is purged okay it's just those two guys and i wasn't able to find those two guys names those, the also... only two people who are actually sentenced to anything for this mayhem wow and i can't yeah. find their names either it wasn't in the newspapers nothing
1: no and it's not surprising because of that we discussed that the complicity mm-hmm. of towns in facilitating um, lynchings and then not to mention it didn't really like th- it would you know these um charges these mm-hmm. allegations of rape or murder would really stir up a frenzy but it also didn't take that mm-hmm. i mean we know that people were lynched for for non-crimes right for things that were you know slights or you know minor offenses or right. for walking down the rumor. street
0: while black you know
1: that's right so getting um, in an
0: argument with a white woman i think is something you mentioned last mm-hmm. time
1: that's right so not a crime um, not a crime. Yeah, it's not surprising. Better not be
0: because I do that a lot.
1: <gasps> argue with white women. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm gonna cut that part I mean, out that's because a like sh- hobby. <laughs> it sure is. Like I'm not black. Either, Listen, so Karen. Like... <laughs> um, I do. I do argue with white women on on Facebook a lot. But I don't argue with them. Um, I noticed them commenting on my Republican senators' Facebook posts, and then I comment, and then I bless their hearts, and they know exactly what I'm talking about. So <laughs> they know that "bless your heart" is Texan for "fuck you," yeah, <laughs> for "go fuck yourself."
1: They, so, they might could really do. So, um, so anyway, it's a
0: good re- it's a good thing. It's not actually illegal to argue with white women. And then coming back on, um,
1: I get where we left off, where um, mm-hmm. our our story left. Remember the. The anti-lynching law right. was passed in um, 1897. Mm-hmm. And it's clear that the um, the conditions in Texas that permitted and tended to drive instances of lynching still persisted mm-hmm. um, well into the 1900s and beyond. I learned that there were spikes and valleys okay. in the statistical records documenting lynching. And it would show that the frequency would drop significantly mm-hmm. and then sharply rise in another year. So... Um, it's, you know, unclear to me because I'm not a data scientist.
0: Right. I think
1: somebody could do a really proper analysis and try to yeah. account for what various social contexts were yeah. present. What what would explain the differences like, in one area versus another?
0: Like what were the economic peaks mm-hmm. and valleys and do those match up? Hell, the weather. That, well, and the judges
1: yeah and the, you
0: know, and what, the, the, the election and the mayors
1: and that, yeah. you know, because
0: tides of elections, the, the mm-hmm. pendulum swings wildly every election. That's how it is. You go super Absolutely. conservative one time, you're going to go super liberal. Well, as super liberal as Texas gets, we're getting better about it, but let's be real. Uh, and so, yeah, that would be amazing. I'm not smart enough to do that. You're no, smart and, enough to do that, but you're busy, and so no, we'll, <laughs>
1: we're looking at like there's there's a a record mm-hmm. of of documented instances and what we know, and I think it would take a lot of time to aggregate all of the information right. we could glean, and then try to find those correlations. Mm-hmm. I mean, we could speculate,
0: but yeah, and then there's means. a lot of you know correlation versus causation that would have to be looked at. I uh... indeed,
1: I will also say that um, I think it shows that there was a struggle.
0: Mm-hmm. There
1: was definitely a struggle in. Texas society, especially with respect to race relations mm-hmm. and with our relationship to justice mm-hmm. and lawfulness that, you know, could account for some of this tension. Right. Um, towards the the end of the period when lynchings were, um, you know, being condemned mm-hmm. and denounced, there were instances where there was also a catalog of instances where lynchings were prevented. Okay. So we would account for, okay, one occurred here, but uh-huh. there were, you know, five different interventions that prevented a lynching. Oh, no So what? that's... Yeah, so there was definitely a oh, struggle. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. But there were a couple notable instances that definitely exemplify all the patterns we've been mm-hmm. discussing that I thought were worth um, kind of running down. One of them happened um, July 29th, 1910. Okay. Um, the Slocum Massacre.
0: Oh, that's a fun name. That just... That oh. tells you
1: right, right now. Okay. <laughs> like, that this is not going to be a happy tale. No. So Slocum is, I guess, near Palestine, Texas. It's located in Anderson County, kind of north of Houston, south of Dallas. Okay. Um, Well, there's a lot
0: of nothing out there.
1: That's right. And this was a rural, small Mm -hmm. town. And it was another instance, um, as you had kind of alluded to, or explicitly, you know, um, (laughs) walked us through, where the words used to describe what happened don't really square with the actualities. Okay. It was described as a race riot. Mm-hmm. The headline in a newspaper in Houston read, Eastern Texas Race War Hot and Bloody. Oh. Right. So the Texas State Historical Association noted that the local reporting was not too accurate, that mm. there was an exaggeration mm-hmm. of the, the size of the mob, the number of people killed. Um, it was described as an 18-hour continuous battle. So that but what does that bring to mind? Like
0: that's that, not a continuous battle. Here's the thing: is when when these conflicts happen, it's not a pitched battle. No, this There's is not, not a like, symmetrical fight. Not at all. It is. It is no. It's a bullying. It's
1: oh, right. Okay. So the heinous truth was: oh. it was a group of agitated white residents that went on a killing spree.
0: Okay,
1: and shot and killed eight unarmed black men Jesus. that were residents of the town, and the victims ranged in age from eighteen to 72 years old holy
0: shit okay so what oh mm-hmm. eight <clears throat> unarmed black men mm-hmm. that's right teenager to grandpa that's right holy shit what uh, what could have possibly mm-hmm. kicked this off so ha
1: here's the, the the worst part of it um there's no clearly established reason that precipitated this violence there were speculations what? that it had to do you know economic pressures there was a belief of, i mean it
0: was 1910 i don't I mean that wasn't even great depression yet no you don't, don't. know from economic pressure yet buddy sit right
1: out. right summer is coming have um, several seats so they, they did not um, – there were some ideas floated, but there was no clearly established motive. The worst is uh, – not the worst. I keep saying the worst. It just keeps not Because better. this entire
0: subject is the worst. The bad is more it's bad. It's the worst in 1910. Hold on. There's going to be more worst. That's correct. We're going to keep so, resetting the bar on worst. Oh, don't um, you
1: worry. Reflecting on this, the the Anderson County Sheriff likened it to a gang hunting and killing black people like sheep. So <sighs> – So, you know, from from that description, it was just, it was a massacre. And And we don't even
0: know why. Well, and it's, there's not a, we know why. The reason why is because they're screamingly racist. But their pretext, their excuse, we don't know. There were some, I, uh, so, um.
1: One was white man's anger at being told to work with an African-American who was placed in charge of a local public road. Another one was there was a plot by whites to take land from the black residents. Okay. There was another um, rumor that there was a dispute over an unpaid loan. I mean, so there was speculation. I mean, honestly. There was conjecture run amok, but. It could have been
0: any one of or all of those things.
1: But unlike some of these cases where there is a a criminal allegation Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. there, there's something you can point to. This was something stirred up this group of men and they went and murdered people.
0: Holy shit.
1: Um, the governor, Governor Campbell, at the time dispatched the Texas Rangers mm-hmm. and the state militia to oh. restore order. Good. Okay. Um, 11 white men were arrested. Mm-hmm. The grand jury indicted seven for murder. Really? Yes. The grand jury was convened within a week. They uh-huh. indicted seven. Um, but then there are cases and there was a a motion to change venue their mm-hmm. cases were transferred to harris county oh, okay. um and they were ultimately dropped without prosecution
0: so uh, yeah they, that's when, horrifying when a case is dropped like that do they have to give a reason so do they have to cite like lack of evidence or whatever
1: so i because of the way that's written in Mm. this record it's it's unclear like i'm not sure procedurally Mm -hmm. if they just refused to prosecute Mm -hmm. or if there was you know they dismissed the charges because because uh... they didn't move it forward and it could have been they looked at it and they thought you know we're not going to get the conviction Mm -hmm. or it could have been some other more malicious situation an interesting tidbit was Five men, even as the uh, prosecution did not move forward, mm-hmm. five men remained in jail. Um, I guess the events happened, the arrests in um, August. Mm-hmm. They stayed in jail till the next May because oh, wow. a judge refused to, to give them bail <laughs> until the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals, which is the state's highest criminal court, mm-hmm. ordered him to do so. Oh, he just
0: no nope. he just sat on them he just sat on until him. until somebody until somebody who was the boss of him came over and said no you actually have to until, let them go until the state's highest court okay yeah.
1: by, so by not a even, mandate not
0: even the court above him but then the court above them that's right
1: and so i thought who that was, was interesting. that judge <laughs> judge gardner
0: oh good you have the name judge, gardner. Mm-hmm. We like and, judge gardner we
1: like judge gardner i just thought that was like well huh judge Gar- right. judge gardner
0: 2020 yeah, yeah we <laughs> <laughs> so um so we're actually starting to see some little glimmers of a faith in humanity being restored. Slowly, gradually, tiny pieces at a time, maybe. I think it's just you you can uh, find you what know is what?
1: that? You can you can find somebody strikes a match in a dark corner. Um so <laughs> in in the abyss. I think um another the thing bottom of a coal mine. I know. So Lord
0: Um,
1: of course, in this instance, I mean that was such a horrific scene. Many of the town's black residents fled and yeah. never returned. Well, yeah. Good. And so um as an interesting point of reflection in 2011 the 82nd Texas legislature adopted a resolution formally acknowledging what happened. Oh, so I thought that was that's Wait. worthy of noting. When was that? Um 2011.
0: So 100 um 1 <sighs> years later that's the right. Texas state legislature said yeah that totally happened.
1: Yeah, that that bad did happen. I mean, and then in 2015, the Texas Historical Commission uh-huh. erected a historical marker. Okay, good. Um recounting the events, identifying the victims, mm-hmm. and um I think uh yeah, I'll I'll send that picture to you. Yeah, I think you that's got a picture definitely that. something we yeah. should we should put up there because yeah. um yeah. Che-che. We we at least as a state can say that we are we're looking at some of these events with with our eyes open.
0: Now I mean a century at, later. At the
1: very least we can
0: at least we're doing that. Is that an and at Here least? we are. Maybe. We're doing our part with podcasts. Oh. Oh, uh, we're
1: contributing. Now, right. I I really find this. Um it's it's the kind of thing I feel like we have to know and we have to look yeah. at, but I feel so mm-hmm. it's it's a gut punch to right. to learn about. The other Notable event mm-hmm. that I think exemplifies some of the, the horrors, but also signified a turning point mm-hmm. um, before the, the eventual decline was the lynching of Jesse Washington, okay, July 1916,
0: in Waco, Texas. Oh, Waco. Yes.
1: Oh, Waco. Um, so this was an exceptionally horrific and barbaric lynching. Holy shit. Um, and importantly, it was not in some rural backwoods, nothing no, town no this is nowhere this was big texas this was mm-hmm. a larger town that was well pocketed this is well dressed yeah the seat of baylor university yeah this is you know
0: waco is ostensibly civilized
1: yes they these were yes these were the civilized church going folks who um you know mm-hmm. suit wearing upwardly you, mobile
0: you're you say this one's particularly terrible mm-hmm. let's put in the context of what we've talked about so far as the man who was tortured with a hot iron before he was then burned at the stake uh, we're talking about george hughes who suffocated mm-hmm. to death inside of a inside of a vault yeah uh, everybody who was hanged everybody who was shot in the context of all of that you're saying the lynching of jesse 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 jesse, jesse washington. washington the lynching of jesse washington was worse i'm gonna say
1: yes i'm gonna stand by it I'm not going to get into the the visceral mm-hmm. because it's just too much. But right. this was um, he was 17. Okay. He was a 17 year old accused of accused of murdering a white woman. And there are mixed accounts
0: mm-hmm.
1: that suggest maybe her husband did it. Oh, or, you know, there are some that said there is some possibility Jesse did it uh-huh. um, because there were accounts he had had disagreements mm-hmm. with the victim at various points in the past. Um, but it's unclear. He was accused and then he confessed under duress. Right. Now, let me explain the pressure point for this duress. Dude. He was told he'd be protected from the lynch mob if he just confessed.
0: Oh, 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 baby. So,
1: so right there, this whole thing. If you just
0: confess, we'll let you go through the justice system and spend the rest of your life in prison instead of feeding you to these howling idiots outside. But as soon as you say yes. Yeah, absolutely. You're a confessed murderer of a white woman now. So, right. Oh, my God. So that confession
1: became the evidence. Because
0: all it takes is one person telling the mob, hey, he confessed. So. And now it's out of anybody's hands. Oh, it, yes.
1: It's just horrifying. 1,500 people, mm. it said, packed the courtroom.
0: and There's, they No, oh. no, they let them all in the courtroom?
1: So 1,500 oh, people were no. in the courtroom.
0: That just seems like um, the first thing you don't do.
1: And they awaited all of the three minutes the jury deliberated
0: <laughs> to
1: um, to find him guilty. There was a confession oh, after they, all. Right? They
0: waited for a verdict, and within That's seconds
1: novel. he was grabbed away. He was <sighs> tortured and mutilated. He was beaten, stabbed, dragged, oh, chained, burned. Like the the details are excruciating, and they are documented. So here's how I know how well they were documented. Uh-huh. Um, the, the, the current uh, mayor of Waco sent his photographer down to take pictures of the event.
0: Okay. So the, this the mayor happened at the time.
1: Town, this spectacle of a horrifying lynching happened in the town square. Uh-huh. And um, yes, um, today I learned, and I did not know, this is something that the um, NAACP mm-hmm. kind of made known to the world. That the super racists of the era, they liked souvenirs <gasps> and they shared these macabre pictures like trading cards. Oh, my God. So the photographer that was there was not documenting history. No. He was. And he wasn't
0: like trying he, he to was find. cash
1: th- value for these, for the photos he was going to take oh and God. distribute to people who would buy them. This
0: wasn't about like documenting who did it for the purposes of justice. This was about selling pictures of this tormented black boy.
1: Yes. And so what's even more horrific is this the the accounts of this story Mm -hmm. really um, confirm what you mentioned about the exhilarated crowd, Mm -hmm. the the energy, the fact that people were, you know, um, thrilled and excited Mm -hmm. and participating in this awfully obscene, horrific. So brutalization of a person. Oh, my God. I'm going to get to how this happens. The NAACP caught wind of this lynching, they were investigating and through the efforts of a um, charming activist and suffragette, Elizabeth Freeman, Uh she was able to find enough people, even though folks were suspicious of her, um, who would share the critical details. Hmm. And she was able to obtain the photos. And the NAACP published nationally an eight-page spread that showed, in chronological order, the horror. And... In these pictures, because nobody was covering themselves and everybody was, you know, con- sure they were operating with impunity. Mm-hmm. Nobody was hiding. Nobody right. was concealing their identity, and they were exhilarated. And it became a profoundly effective uh, moment in the anti-lynching cause. So, so the, they used it. The
0: curtain a, was pulled back. Yes, one they article. just they finally showed the ugly, ugly shit that goes down.
1: Look at this civilized town. Uh That's right. Look at all these folks in suits. Look at these children Mm -hmm. around the body of a murdered man. Oh, my God. Um, And so they aimed this like really harsh spotlight, Mm -hmm. this kind of. Good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, Unflinching, Mm -hmm. sanitizing view. And so there was an enormous crowd. um, And Freeman is quoted as saying, along with these pictures, I guess she had um, spoken at events because of it you cannot be satisfied with your lot while your brothers are being deprived of their natural rights and the fallout and the attention raised by this lynching mm-hmm. is considered a turning point cool
0: awesome. because right what's her name again
1: elizabeth freeman
0: i'm going to find a picture of this queen oh yeah there and put are her pictures up on oh. the internet's that's right because uh bless i'm assuming she's white she is okay. she was um she was an english born
1: that oh, okay. she was an activist here, mm-hmm. and um she was apparently nervous and scared when well, yeah. she was called upon to come look into this, but she did because that's
0: incredibly dangerous.
1: Yes, it doesn't and matter people what people Had figured want. out mm-hmm. that she was asking questions, and right. so people were, um I think, locally saying, "Don't talk to her." Right, but she was witty and charming,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and and some people did talk to her, and there were clearly folks that wanted. Yeah. To let this out. Okay, good, good. Um, and so there were editorials everywhere condemning it. Mm-hmm. Um, the, and the New York Times had one particularly poignant, um, quote, in no other land, even pretending to be civilized, could a man be burned to death in the streets of a considerable city amid the savage exultation of its inhabitants. Oh, my God. Right? So Yes. Ugh. So those two, I thought, were really important to point out they mm-hmm. kind of showed yeah. all of those um elements mm-hmm. of the the you know fake rationales mm-hmm. the underlying yeah uh pretexts and just the pure violence
0: and these are six years apart mm-hmm. you've got the 1910 slocum massacre where there's no clear information nobody had any consequences we don't really know what happened we just know these men are dead and then six years later in waco jesse jesse washington and it's super well documented and it blows the lid off
1: and um so there are when we talk about the decline of lynching in texas Mm -hmm. there are a lot of factors just like there were a lot of factors that allowed it permitted it to occur real
0: quick though did anybody suffer any consequences for jesse washington
1: i'm gonna have to that's gonna have to be subject to check i wanted to say no because i didn't um i mean
0: my instinct says probably no
1: yeah i don't think they did and i think um there were people that could be identified in photos. Yeah, um, I
0: just, I just Googled some pictures and yeah, faces are clearly visible.
1: So I'll follow up. So I will say that, um, so that event mm-hmm. ended up kind of um, being a turning point and there was more momentum towards the movement to mm-hmm. stop lynchings. And it kind of um, over was overlaid with this idea that, Hey, we have courts and we mm-hmm. do have a justice system. right? Yeah. Um, there are a lot of factors to attribute the eventual eventual decline one of them being the press yeah i mean as noted here mm-hmm. um the attention and notoriety raised by jesse washington's torture and murder mm-hmm. was a significant moment and what's really interesting is um even as others were condemning other press were writing editorials mm-hmm. You know, um, in Waco, I think they were like, well, but we also don't appreciate you saying such terrible things about Waco. (laughs) Like, we're a really good town anyway. Like, I'm sure
0: there are some good uh, things that Waco does, but... But what a painful
1: reality. Yeah,
0: like, I don't care how many attaboys that you've accumulated, that one fuck-up's going to clear the board for you. That's right. Like, just come on now.
1: Exactly. Like, you can know somebody a long time, and there's, there's that thing that's just a bridge too far and yeah you're like, no wow and, and it's i'm done. sorry
0: but the <laughs> massive gleeful gathering together of an entire city to torment and destroy a man all the way to death is kind of it's kind of a it's a turnoff yeah i'm not into you anymore waco <laughs> sorry so
1: austin houston dallas mm-hmm. galveston they all they were increasingly publishing articles that okay. not only denounced the practice but started calling for the uh, punishment of lynchers. Nice. So that has to be in and of itself a deterrent when people Mm -hmm. actually, when the same inhabitants of a place want to see the the mobs. Yeah. Prosecuted. Well Well, then, Hey, maybe I should double think this.
0: It turns out that public, uh, public disapproval of racism is a really uh, effective way to, um, Curb the activities of racism. By that same token, the weakening of public disapproval and, in fact, the very public approval of racism, perhaps in the form of a president, has the opposite effect.
1: No, I, I saw where you were going. See what you're doing there. <laughs> did you see that? Did I no, telegraph right. that I, punch I,
0: from way the fuck back here? All of a sudden, I, I was seeing tiki torches <laughs> and yeah.
1: I was right there. Yeah. So, right. There was also um, an emerging theme mm-hmm. in... Regarding deference to law and order, yeah, there would be um these rejections, these you know pronouncements rejecting a lawless resort to mob violence as an affront to justice, mm-hmm. an affront to our system of yeah. law and order Good. um there were these strongly worded editorials appealing to due process um sometimes, however, the same editorial mm-hmm. would dismiss the gruesome violence and fact of the death of a person outside the judicial system with some comment like the person may have deserved it based on these uh, allegations uh, but the real violence was what uh, is done to our orderly administration of justice so i so i will say there are, at the same time we're making this forward progress and there there are these you know kind of hopeful moments
0: man it's
1: also saturated with the fact that we're stuck in this mm-hmm. time and place right where you know, garbage thoughts, man. Um, <laughs> that's
0: so, that's so toxic.
1: Another um, factor mm-hmm. we can attribute the decline to is intervention by law enforcement.
0: Turns yeah. out when the cops show up <laughs> yes. and they're not helping, that's great. Yes, when the facilitation
1: of mm-hmm. these horrible activities ceases. It, it has a profound effect. <laughs> the actions of governors, mm-hmm. um, local authorities to prevent lynchings. Like um, we saw that
0: with uh, with the George Hughes case in, yes. in 1930. Uh, so, you know, we're getting a little further down the timeline. Uh, but yeah, the, the Texas Rangers were deployed before he was even fully indicted. Like they knew this was coming. And I think part of that might be uh, not only just the fact that there's more law enforcement people In Texas, but also communications and vehicles are faster. You could pick up a phone and make a phone call and some rangers in Austin can hop in a car and drive up to Sherman. They'll be there in a few hours. That's right. You can
1: deploy your resources. And I think that's right. Once um, these lynch mobs weren't operating in environments of impunity Mm -hmm. with no resistance... The whole board changes. And so um, another thing that was critical was stopping them in their infancy, like you just mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we also looked at some of those pictures of crowds and realized, yeah, once there are 10,000 people, yeah. it's a lot harder to stop that momentum mm-hmm. than it would be if you got in there at the very beginning and kept those crowds from forming. Right. Um, or tra- uh, something that happened that um, was in it. A... <laughs> Hold on. Come in again. Hold on, brain. Yeah. Okay. So another um, tactic that was increasingly effective was transferring and moving the prisoners more often, Mm -hmm. um, bringing in the rangers much earlier. Mm -hmm. Um, There was also the formation of societies that were campaigning against it actively. Mm. The Association of Southern Women Against Lynching became active. In several southern states, especially Texas. No way. Um, Yeah. It was indeed started by a native Texan. Mm -hmm. Um, The head of the Texas chapter was a well-known Dallas woman who was a former national president of the YWCA, Sally Hanna. Mm. So they used their positions in society because these were um, well-to-do white women to advocate against lynching and to raise awareness. They um, felt like they had a responsibility to counter the narrative of Mm -hmm. the false chivalry justification. They thought that was just an excuse to justify murder. Um, When did this start? Do, oh. we have,
0: do we have a year? I mean, of
1: course we have a year, but did I write it down? No, I did not write it down. Why are you hitting me with these basic questions? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Don't ask me about facts.
1: <laughs> what? I was just getting all excited that there was a no, there was a counterpoint. That oh. is
0: so exciting. That's why I want to know when it happened. It was founded in November 1930. 1930. So this is months after the George Hughes Hughes mm-hmm. Hughes, Hughes, Hughes. I've said the man's name so many times. You know what I'm saying.
1: You're right, lady.
0: Thank you. That's right. God. So um,
1: what was really interesting, too, is they were politically active mm-hmm. They're, um, ad- in their advocacy in Texas. The chapter pressured the, the governor mm-hmm. and any governor um, candidates for governor to promise that they are going to use their office to support legislative efforts huh. to end lynching, to control mobs, to catch and prosecute yeah. the lynchers. They would send nice. out questionnaires, and then they would publish the responses. Oh. So um, in 1934, Sally Hanna mm-hmm. secured pledges from all seven gubernatorial candidates. No way. Yes. So Aww. that's a pretty effective effort. That's right. And so let me, because I always got to throw sand in your drink, right? Yeah. And could you
0: please? Yeah.
1: It should be noted <laughs> that while this group originally um, was formed out of this Council for Interracial Cooperation, mm-hmm. Um, And that was a Protestant group trying to work towards racial Harmony, Um, the Association of Southern Women Against the Lynching um, kind of separated from that group and did not have black members because the group Mm -hmm. believed that the only way they could be effective is the only way white women could influence other white women um, and pursue their cause was if they did it, you know, as a less inclusive organization. Uh, okay. And so um, they distanced themselves from the idea of being part of this um, broader interracial cooperative agenda and pursued it as a more narrow um, agenda. And so uh, I don't, I know, right? Because part of me is like, oh my gosh, you're this awesome counterpoint. You're doing all these right things to... Towards the right side of the cause. Mm -hmm. And then you're like, oh, but also.
0: But here's the punch in the dick. (laughs) We're actually still (laughs) super racist.
1: Or they're so like on that realist pragmatist.
0: Yeah, like it could be either way. They're either still uncomfortable with black people or they know that racist white people aren't going to listen to them if they're associating with black people. If black people are involved in the organization.
1: Right. And so it's like, And then you have to say, "But is that okay?" And then you're like, "Yeah, but we're we're still in this like time where Mm -hmm. this awful stuff is happening. Like, are we just going to take what what is the tug of war? Right? Do you do do what you got to do, or is this you know is it subtly a Mm -hmm. no? We are doing the right thing, and we're well to do women,
0: But you know what? If the South can take a baby step, at least a step was taken." And I understand that that's setting a bar really low for basic humanity and civilized behavior. But come on, American South, we can do this. Well,
1: and I have to say that you, even though sometimes that um, that change of thinking mm-hmm. had those misguided elements, at least we're getting to that where there is a change in thinking. Right. Where there are people that are also no longer too uh, afraid to speak out. You know, there mm-hmm. are these growing masses and there's this momentum like Mm -hmm. oh hey we can all kind of together so Mm -hmm. um yeah there there were more governors that were active Mm -hmm. and they're like oh no you know Mm -hmm. i am opposed and i will send out we will deploy resources so that would be the
0: i mean at least least it's showing an evolution of the situation at least there's that And those
1: events and those organizations and the the editorials and the changing tone of law enforcement and then, you know, the, the popular disapproval of it. Right. Those things culminate to getting away from it. Now, I did see in one scholarly text that there's this notion that some of it just went underground. It was no longer in the town square. Right. It was in those horrifying KKK, like,
0: Right, like a appalling, yes. Like a a horrifying dark clearing in the middle of nowhere in the dead of night with a burning cross in the middle of it. These are images that we have seen in media many, many times and the reason they exist in media is because they existed in reality. That's right. Art imitates life.
1: And so the difficulty there is um so while that point is really easy for me to accept, mm-hmm. it's also harder to document because so many of those things happened right. in the dark of night. Outside the view of the media, hmm. not fully documented the way we have some of these uh, right. records of other instances.
0: But at least, if I mean, I, I don't want to accept uh, that that is a solution that we just made them. Uh, we just made them hide it, but that shows steps towards hopefully not doing it. Well, absolutely, Maybe.
1: it shows a a change, a distaste for. Mm-hmm. For this, taking the the law into your own hands and murdering somebody. It also changes the tone. This was not a, a pageant pretending to, you know, simulate some sort of justice. Right. Like, you're hiding in a dark corner because you know it is wrong, wrong, mm-hmm. wrong. Yeah.
0: And so now, uh, because you have hidden in a dark corner, because you knew it was super duper wrong, uh, if you get caught, then look at all this evidence that shows that you were not insane at the time. You knew this was wrong. You knew what you were doing was wrong. And hopefully you can actually be prosecuted to the full extent of the law on that. So as far as marching through the century, is there more or have we as so 1930 I, um, when we stopped progressing?
1: So that towards that was kind of um, the turning points as far as like, yeah, we have a decline. Now there are still um sporadic there are instances but then um i think 1942 Mm -hmm. there was um such a decline in mob violence that even the association of southern women against lynching Mm -hmm. they formally ended their their campaign mission accomplished uh, ish right right so they um they felt like their initial purposes had been accomplished. So I'd say 1942, mm-hmm. holy moly.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: How far into the 1900s are we? Right.
0: Right. Like this has been going on for over a century now.
1: Yeah, there there were some that were like, well maybe we turn our our attention to a federal anti-lynching bill. Yeah, would that um, be nice
0: because it's not just happening in Texas.
1: That's right. It was happening in multiple states and and unfortunately, um yeah. And unfortunately, we are not in a post-racial America where we can say that kind of violence is impossible Mm -hmm. and would never, ever happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: Okay. Is there... (laughs) Wait, is that it? I was like, I just feel
1: so dark and sad. So Um, in
0: conclusion, at least there's no longer lynchings in the public square. Which is a really salty, jagged little pill to try and choke down. Yeah, I think... At least we're not doing it in public anymore? No,
1: I think what it is, is the reason those horrifying acts are allowed to occur mm-hmm. and persist is with the implicit approval mm-hmm. of others, with the um, complicity of law enforcement, the, the institutional structures, mm-hmm. and the public. Right. Right. So that gives all of us a purpose. Yeah. You have to be vigilant mm-hmm. against it because otherwise it feels like yeah. it can operate in impunity and hold other people you, accountable.
0: That's right. If you see, because because especially now, um, racists are emboldened, and even people who don't think they're racist uh, suddenly discover that they kind of maybe are. Like there's there's an emboldening of this kind of uh, of, of racial tensions and and, and all that. We're not going to improve our civilization and our society unless we actually act. We can't be passive. You got to call people out. You got to point out racism and say, "Hey, that's racism right there." You got to look at it. Yeah,
1: it's what is it? All it takes for evil to prevail is the indifference of good men. There you go. And women.
0: And women. Good, good people. Good men, people. women, and all points good in fellas. between and beyond. It's a spectrum. And ladies, Damn that's it. right. Anyway,
1: <sighs> now I, I have to say, I was stunned and appalled and shocked that this is so close to us Mm -hmm. like i mean how many how many grandmas is it it's not that many that's what i'm saying so um we have come a long way because Mm -hmm. i my toes curled and i mean i couldn't stomach the idea Mm -hmm. of this happening this seems like something out of some crazy torture porn kind of like movie it's right some made-up fictitious thing but then you find out that is real and those events actually happen to real people. Right. And so I feel like we have a responsibility to just honor that it happened and yeah. then do our best to make sure that never happens mm-hmm. again.
0: And and this, it does continue. Like uh, my son is in Texas history right now and they actually are covering slavery mm-hmm. right now. And he was, he walked out of school the other day and he sat down in the car and he was like, mom, did you know about slavery? And he was just Horrified, and then he was watching a YouTube video uh, earlier today, and the KKK was like the punchline in this video, and he's like, "What's the KKK?" I was like, "Pause that, not a punchline." Yeah. So you remember slavery? Let me just tie that all in together for you. So it stands for those of us who are reproducing uh, to make sure that the next generation is educated, and uh, I was just really reassured that he was just on a visceral, instinctual level horrified by the notion of slavery, let alone the KKK. Like, he doesn't even understand. Like, he's just he's just blown away that that's a part of the history of his country and his state. And like, yeah, dude, it is. Anyway, so like, all of this is really dark and we all have a really heavy responsibility. But it's not, it doesn't have to be heavy, heavy. Like, this is a burden that you carry every single day isn't a burden anymore. That's just like how we move through the world
1: i think they're reflecting pools right you Mm -hmm. have to be able to look at them Mm
0: -hmm. like some
1: of the you know some of our hardest times might be actually acknowledging what we're like and who we are Mm -hmm. well this is what our state is like and who we are and all the great stuff we have and Mm -hmm. all of the really incredible adventurer spirited you know frontier Mm -hmm. tales they get us excited well, yes, but we also have to honor that at the yeah. same time, and in some of the same places, there were some ugly things too. And
0: some of the same people, some of our heroes were also embroiled in nastiness. And that's just—that's what I really like about what we're doing—is like with this podcast—is is getting into uh, why Texas is the way that it is, mm-hmm. and like understanding the the darker parts of our history, and I feel like it's it's giving me a, a greater understanding of where I come from, and uh, a greater understanding of what I need to do now as a citizen to be able to help steer my state that I love so much away from that darkness. Mm-hmm. And uh, I do that at the voting booth. I don't know about you, uh, every single election, all elections, I get out there and I vote. And I all think
1: elections matter. No, everybody voting, needs to voting with your your wallet and voting in the yeah. booth. Yeah, I mean
0: that's absolutely. That's how you do. Okay, so would you like to uh, have a little faith in humanity restored? Yes. All right. Let us read a review. Somebody uh, left us a lovely review. Oh, that's nice. On the iTunes. Anybody else who would like to? Who would like to reaffirm our faith in humanity and make our little hearts go pity pat, please leave us a review. We do obsessively read them all, and we will share them uh here on the show. And so you you will get a shout-out. Uh just like uh football horror uh, <laughs> that said. Um let's see if I can see the title on this. I can't. Can I turn it? I can't see the title on it. Oh, the Aww. the whole the whole title? No, I can't. Drawn
1: in voice with, with all. all. <laughs> all. Sorry. Anyway, I did the same.
0: um, I'm sorry, football horror. I can't read the entire title of your review. It says drawn in voice with awe. And I'm going to assume it's because you think we're adorable. Um, I got to say, this podcast lets us see murders and possibly more on the state of Texas. I'm excited for more. Hashtag Texas. You are absolutely right, football horror. Hashtag Texas indeed. Hashtag Texas.
1: (laughs) I love I love learning about things, and then sometimes I'm like,
0: oh, oh, I learned about the burden thing.
1: of knowledge. <laughs>
0: know. Why can I not unknow this? Right. Uh, what a fun podcast! Hey, I've got an idea. It'll be super fun. You want to research the horrors of our past? Who? All right, we made it. Thanks for sticking with us for our two-part deep dive into Texas lynch mobs. If you're enjoying the show, uh, tell your friends. Hop on over to your favorite podcast platform and subscribe. Uh, Leave us a five-star rating, a sassy review, whatever floats your boat. If you'd like to talk back at us, we are on all the social medias at OSWpodYall.com. That's at O-S-W-P-O-D-Y-A-L-L. I particularly recommend Instagram because that's where I'll post a lot of pictures of the people and places involved in our little stories. Also, you can email us at outlawsandscornedwomen at gmail.com. We have a new home on the internet at outlawsandscornedwomen.podbean.com where I'll post links to all of our sources for our research. And I think that's it. So y'all have a good one and we'll see you next time.